Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. (laughs) Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio at the start of what can only be described as the greatest week in politics since Leave won the referendum. And in just the next few dozen hours, David Gork and the Gorkwood squad will have resigned. That means spreadsheet Phil Hammond will no longer be Chancellor. Walkabout weirdo Rory Stewart will join them as well. Sir Alan Duncan has already quit. Look, look at that. We've already got a klaxon going off in the first uh, part of the show because Sir Alan Duncan's already quit in the last half hour. He's gracefully not waiting for this show to start. Uh, he's already on the blacklist for that. And he'll be joined by two others you've never heard of. Stephen Hammond from Health and probably Claire Perry from Energy. And to cap it all, Boris Johnson will be Prime Minister. Makes you feel glad to be alive, doesn't it? Here at the Independent Republic, we have our klaxon ready for every eventuality. Whenever someone is fired, well, whenever someone resigns, which is the one you just heard, whenever someone changes jobs or indeed defects to the Liberal Democrats... And we've even got one for Jeremy Corbyn leaving the Labour Party. And the way things are going, that won't be too far off. Apparently, grassroots support for him is at an all-time low. And as if all that isn't enough, we're returning to College Green tomorrow to the tent of shame to track every single minute of the mayhem in Westminster with Ross Kempsell, our political editor, and a whole host of guests. He's here as well today, 0344-499-1000. Meanwhile, tensions are rising in the Middle East as BA halts flights to Egypt after a specific threat. And the Iranians are still holding our tanker, the Stena Impero. And this morning, Iran has arrested 17 CIA spies, and that's what they're calling them, and sentenced some of them to death. This is getting very serious. Where's Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt when you need him? 0344 499 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, without further ado, let's get straight to Ross Kempsell, who is, of course, our political editor. It's going to be a big week. I'm calling it Boris Week. Ross, very good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, firing, it's already begun. Uh, well, it's already begun. We're firing on all cylinders. Uh, so, let's start off with uh, Sir Alan Duncan, who's already gone. Are we going to get the klaxon again? I think we should have the klaxon again. There it is. That is the resignation. It's actually, while we're about it, I have invented a new klaxon today because we didn't realise that some Tory MPs might be defecting to the Lib Dem. So let's have a listen to what that one sounds like. <laughs> 
That's if they defect to the Lib Dems. So I hope someone's got a, a keeping track of all this. We are. Don't worry. Right we'll be doing buttons. yet another recap, um, oh. as I did over the weekend on Twitter. We'll be doing another recap a little bit later on this hour as to everything that is actually going on. So uh, do tell us what's happening. What is uh, the latest? Alan Duncan is one of the chief critics of Boris Johnson, one of his most uh, vociferous opponents, and he has opposed Mr Johnson's leadership bid all the way through and, in fact, beforehand was a vocal critic of the Foreign Secretary. Now, Alan Duncan worked for Boris Johnson as his number two in the Foreign Office. He described himself as Boris Johnson's pooper scooper, having to go around the world cleaning up everything that Boris Johnson basically got wrong right. uh, as, a, as a junior minister when he worked for him. Alan Duncan as well also described Boris Johnson as a, quotes circus act, accused him of throwing Sir Kim Darrett, quotes, under the bus. That was his most recent sort of attack, wasn't it? That was his most recent criticism of Boris Johnson. Mr Duncan also said uh, that Mr Johnson uh, had failed in leadership, that he'd failed in decency. So this is one of his long-time political enemies. It's no surprise that Alan Duncan has decided to walk. I think it does raise eyebrows that it's now. It's the first thing on Monday morning. Look, at the moment, the Foreign Office is absolutely the heart of the Iran crisis. Right. It's, it's trying to deal with a huge international developing issue. And there's a COBRA meeting going on this morning, is there not? There's a COBRA meeting that's beginning inside the Cabinet Office in the next 20 minutes to discuss the UK's response to the Iran uh, situation. And, and at the moment, the Foreign Office, which is the department responsible for dealing with that, the Secretary of State, Jeremy Hunt, the Foreign Minister, mm. has been running against the likely Prime Minister for weeks and doesn't know whether he's going to have a job on Wednesday. Sir Alan Duncan, the second in command at the Foreign Office, has just walked out and resigned. Yeah. And the third in command, Mark Field, is currently suspended after he got into an altercation yes. with that protester, that climate change protester. So at the moment, it's pretty uh, threadbare over there at the, at the Foreign so, Office. So literally nobody's in charge of the clattering train, it would appear, anyway. And certainly those suggestions have been made, haven't they, over the weekend, that perhaps uh, Jeremy Hunt's eye has not entirely been on the ball. Well, look, I think Boris Johnson is also waiting to see what Jeremy Hunt does over this hugely developing issue in the next 24 hours mm. now. Mr Johnson, if he does become Prime Minister, if he does win the Tory leadership, which he's expected to tomorrow, and we'll know that name tomorrow morning, mid-morning is right. all I can say, when we'll definitely know that name, uh, the Prime Minister then will go into Downing Street on Wednesday, so there's a 24-hour delay, so we know who the next one is on Tuesday morning. We don't get them inside Downing Street until Wednesday. Prime Minister Theresa May does her final PMQs on Wednesday. Will there be a standing ovation moment? Will there be a big sign-off from the Prime Minister? Will there be an emotional moment? Almost certainly. Mm. Theresa May will then go back to Downing Street. I'm told that she'll speak very shortly in Downing Street from the lectern, right. those great podium speeches that we become familiar with. It'll be her last one. She'll go to the palace and formally resign with Her Majesty the Queen. Mm. Boris Johnson then, if it indeed is him, as expected, will go to the palace from Parliament. He will meet the Queen. He will take part in the kissing of hands ceremony, which is a sign of uh, uh, loyalty to the monarch. And then he will go from Buckingham Palace to Downing Street and walk through that famous black door, which he's wanted to do since mm. he was a teenager yeah. and he'll be making his first speech on the steps of Downing Street we think at around 5pm on Wednesday straight into the cabinet reshuffle huge decisions to make and we're getting steers that that cabinet reshuffle will be largely completed by Wednesday evening and when we spoke towards the end of last week we knew this was going to be a rocky week for all sorts of reasons and it was going to be an unpredictable week even I was quite surprised though with Duncan moving quite as quickly as he did I thought we wouldn't start seeing resignations until sort of you know mid-morning maybe midday 
day because I thought, as you did, that this Cobra meeting with uh, yeah. uh, the, the situation going on in Iran was going to sort of occupy everybody's minds. Clearly, uh, it isn't. Uh, absolutely. I mean, government is beginning to uh, fall apart, and the reason for that is because it's been in stasis. It's been in a kind of shadow government, a lame duck leadership for weeks, uh, basically suspended during the Tory leadership contest for all intents and purposes because cabinet ministers have been off freewheeling, supporting whichever of the two leadership contenders they want to win. They've been campaigning for them. Ministers, I've seen ministers popping up right, left mm. and centre at the hustings I've been around all the, around the country. It's not like they've been in the office. They've had to do a huge amount of campaigning that we don't see, visiting Conservative associations on behalf of the person that they're supporting. If you're Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt and you've got a packed diary, you need to send your supporters to lots of things that you're being invited to. Yes. So those ministers are kind of out of the, the loop in Westminster to some degree and have been for weeks. And we're now beginning to see the wheels actually come off mm. ahead of a presumed And, and as I have to say, as I predicted they would, because the whole idea of having a caretaker prime minister or a prime minister in name only leads to this kind of complete and utter dereliction of duty over everybody else because there's no reason why anyone should do what they're told by Theresa May. There's absolutely no loyalty left towards her because she's going anyway. And we know how fickle, you know, loyalty is in politics. But when you know that somebody has already, you know, shot themselves in the head and is just basically lying there waiting to expire, you're not going to do anything for them. Well, Theresa May must be waiting now, I think, on about 11 or 12 phone calls today from ministers and into the next 24 hours into tomorrow. Yes, you mentioned some of the names, Stephen Hammond, Claire Perry. We'd also be looking at names like Tobias Elwood in the Defence Department, widely rumoured to be considering resignation. I think the question mark now is when do we get a cabinet resignation? We know that Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, and David Gork, the Justice Secretary, have already said in public over the weekend... I think this speeds it up, doesn't it? I think possibly. Hammond will go tomorrow. That's what I would suggest. Poss possibly. And, and it, it might be the case that uh, they want to wait for the official result tomorrow morning before jumping the gun. But it looks like the common received wisdom now at the top of the Conservative Party, even amongst senior ministers like Alan Duncan, is that it's now's the time to get out if you okay. don't agree with Boris Johnson. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you leave it too long, then you lose all credibility. Because let's not forget, some of these people are hoping to form some kind of alliance on the back benches yes. and still be a, a force in Conservative politics. If they mess it up, they may not be. Stay with us, Ross, though, because Henry Hill joins us now, Assistant Editor at Conservative Home. Henry, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Are you surprised that Alan Duncan's gone quite so soon? Um, it's interesting. I suppose it's a question of, of going before you're pushed. I think there's undoubtedly um, an expectation that Boris Johnson will quite dramatically reshape the cabinet um, when he comes in. And presumably, if you want to make a statement about your opposition to his premiership, it's better to go uh, whilst it still looks like it was your initiative than leaving it long enough that people might think you were angling for a job. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, how soon do you expect the next one? Because we've got a series of klaxons here, Henry, in order to play them out whenever somebody either resigns or is fired or joins the Lib Dems. Um, how soon do you think uh, the next one's going to come along? Well, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I think, I think based, given that Boris Johnson is likely to be, well, he's almost certainly going to be announced tomorrow, we should probably expect um, a, tri a trickle more over the next few days. It depends exactly on, or, or over the next day, sorry. It depends exactly on what their strategy is, because um, I personally thought that they might go for um, a, a sort of big coordinated walkout with a large number of them. And if, if instead they've gone for the kind of stay in the news by drip-feeding the announcements one at a time, then obviously that'll change the timings quite dramatically. Yes, as I was saying to Ross Kempsell just now, I mean, if they are will, wishing to be a sort of a force to be reckoned with on the back benches and, and a group of people rather like, I suppose, an, uh, um, a, a slightly less well-organised ERG uh, to try and stop a no-deal Brexit, is that going to be a formal thing? What are you hearing inside the party? 
Well, the, the, the challenge really for people trying to set up a sort of pro-Remain ERG is that the ERG did not spring up overnight. Although it's only recently, in the last couple of years, sort of got into the news, the ERG was founded in the 1990s. It's got 20 years of institutional memory behind it. There's a culture there of discipline, of having employed staff, and, and, and a habit of rebellion as well. Now, over the past couple of years, we have seen sort of MPs on the pro-Remain um, sort of centrist wing of the party starting to acquire these habits. They've got more willing to rebel. They've got slightly better at rebellion as well. But I think nonetheless, it would be very challenging for MPs who are used to being loyal, who are used to being ministers, and who are used to obeying the whip much more often than not. It'll be very difficult for them logistically and I think psychologically to set up an equivalent to the ERG, certainly in the, the month or so they have before it'll have to go into battle. No, quite. And what about this danger of the other six that we're hearing, uh, that we're hearing about six cabinet ministers, we're hearing that another six people may uh, go off to join the Lib Dems. What do you know about that? Um, well, I mean, at, at the moment, I, I don't probably don't know any more than you. That's just a rumour. It, it would be a quite staggering number, if that were the case, um, six defections. I mean, I can't remember... I actually can't remember the last time we had that many floor crossings. I think it might have been when Labour MPs were going to the SDP in the mid-80s. So that would be very, very surprising. I mean, it depends on where they were, of course, as to, whether, as to what their prospects were. But I think given the rarity of floor crossings in modern British politics, it used to be very common, um, but that was 100 or so mm. years ago. It's now, it's now incredibly rare. I think, and for, Especially leaving the Conservatives, I think you had one Tory MP who left joined the SDP in the 80s. You had Sean Woodward, who joined Labour in the in the 1990s. But it really is phenomenally uncommon, and for six would be something of a, of a record. I it think. really would, and it would show, I suppose, just how much politics has shifted from a two-party system based on ideology, uh, on, on sort of e economics and much else besides, to just a Brexit debate, because you can't tell me that a Tory backbencher has anything in common with the Lib Dem frontbencher, because supposedly on everything other than remaining in the European Union, they disagree. Well, this is why I, I think that joining the Liberal Democrats might be a bit precipitate for the Tory MPs for considering doing it, because the problem that you have, and this is the same problem that Change UK had and that, that they ran afoul of um, when they tried to, to launch, is that, yes, Brexit is very important, and, and, and we are seeing on all sorts of areas Brexit is redrawing the alliances and causing people to, to, to cooperate with people who they've been uh, working against for 20 years, and that's definitely real. But it's a fact that at some point Brexit is either going to happen or possibly not happen. And at that point, the fact that, the, that any government or party is still going to have to have an economic policy, it will have to take a view on welfare, it will have to take a view on tax. And these alliances, as we saw with Change UK, often founder if they're only built around one issue. So I'd be very concerned, if I were the Liberal Democrats, of admitting six MPs who might then turn out, once Brexit has been and gone, or in whatever form that takes, who might then turn out to be a very bad fit for the party with, if it's trying to, for example, woo back the centre-left voters that it lost when it went into coalition with the Tories in 2010. Quite. And presuming that Sir Alan Duncan has gone because he knows absolutely that Boris Johnson is going to get the job tomorrow, uh, which I don't think very many of us were in any doubt about anyway, um, what does it actually mean for those who are enemies of Boris Johnson or at least have been critical of him in the past who are currently in the Cabinet, like Michael Gove, who we're hearing might be given something, like Jeremy Hunt, who ran against him? Uh, is your feeling that Boris will keep them on? Well, we've seen 
quite a, a, a number of uh, MPs who have previously been very critical of Boris Johnson. I think that the most high-profile one probably being Amber Rudd, who made those sort of eyebrow-raising remarks about him during the EU referendum. Um, sort of what the thing about not by, wanting to share a cab home uh, with him? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they've been pivoting to try and stay in his cabinet. And I think, I think the important thing to remember is that Boris will be aware that he is coming into office if not necessarily into power, with an overall majority, including the DUP, of three or two. Um, so he really can't afford to go on to, to do a Theresa May-style night of the long knives um, and put lots of enemies on the back benches. Mm. Party management is going to be critical, and I think he's going to want to try and keep as many potential um, rebels, not diehards like Alan Duncan, you know, I think he recognises there's no chance of salvaging that, but he's going to try and keep as many people in the tent as possible so that he has a bit of breathing space for the rest of the summer and maybe the autumn to maybe try and get a Brexit deal through or to give himself space to prepare for a general election. He's not going to want to just put a whole load of fresh enemies on the back benches. No, it's going to be fascinating stuff. Henry, thank you very much indeed. Henry Hill, their assistant editor of Conservative Home. Ross Kempsell's here with me. Let's have a listen, Ross, just before we carry on, uh, to Alan Duncan uh, and what he said about Boris Johnson over the Kim Darrick situation. But what I do know is that Boris Johnson, a former foreign secretary and he hopes to be a future, the future Prime Minister, has basically thrown our, tip, our top diplomat under the bus. And there are a lot of people here in the Commons who are very, very angry and feel that he has lost so much respect uh, for having done what he's done. His sort of disregard for Sir Kim Darroch and his refusal to back him was, in my view, pretty contemptible, but also not in the interests of the country he's trying to lead. That's interesting, isn't it, that Alan Duncan says that he lost a lot of respect. My suggestion to you is that uh, he lost a lot of respect with people who already didn't respect him because we were always led to believe before this whole leadership battle began that Boris's big problem would be getting on the ballot from inside Westminster. When that ceased to that be a problem... That turned out to be nonsense. Well, that turned out <laughs> to be rubbish, right? He was more popular than ever. And then it turned... I mean, I think he won that literally hands down. I mean, he might as well have been running unopposed. Um, and then, of course, in the in the shires and in the, the homes of, of, of Conservative Party voters and Conservative Party members, he would appear to have run, run a landslide victory there as well. So, I mean, I'm afraid Alan Duncan looks like he might be on the wrong side of history here. So you could point to Alan Duncan's resignation this morning as Foreign Minister walking out the number two in the Foreign Office as a sign that the top ministers in the Conservative Party currently serving the government think that Boris Johnson has really won big, so they're not delaying, they're just right. getting on with it. Now, Alan Duncan is the kind of person who, as you say, will be sacked by Boris Johnson almost certainly with relish, I would have thought. Now, um, Boris Johnson holds several personal gripes against Alan Duncan. They include that Alan Duncan reportedly, according to reports uh, that have been written by you know credible journalists at the time, Alan Duncan asked to be the chair of the Leave campaign, of the Vote Leave campaign, over somebody like right. Boris Johnson, who was one of the major figures, and then changed his mind mm. when he wasn't given the job and back to remain. Now, that's what Alan Duncan's critics say. Really? Yeah. They also say that Alan Duncan was responsible when Boris Johnson was Foreign Secretary. He was famously pranked. He got a prank phone call from a Russian prankster, and that Alan Duncan was responsible for passing that call up to Boris right. Johnson in some way. And that also, uh, Alan Duncan has called Brexit a working-class 
tantrum previously. So there are all sorts of things that are currently... That's, mm. that's an example of the mud that is currently being slung well, in Westminster. Well, certainly looking at, as, as, as it always is, a very, very sort of uh, uh, unrealistic and, and, and probably very inaccurate uh, summation of what's going on. Uh, he doesn't have very many fans on Twitter that I can see. And Kaz says this, maybe he should have resigned anyway due to Iran hijacking a ship when they said they would and his department did not act quickly enough to prevent it. Uh, others might say as well, it's not exactly the greatest day for a junior foreign office minister to resign whilst we're in the midst of a foreign office crisis yeah. with one of the big powers of the Middle East. What's going on over at the foreign office at the moment? We've got a Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs, the Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, running against probably the future Prime Minister, not sure whether he's going to be on a job on Wednesday. Yeah. Alan Duncan just walked out and the third minister in the Foreign Office, uh, Mark Field, is currently suspended for having a row with yeah. that female And constitutionally, the woman who is in charge of the nation, the Prime Minister, who is about to resign in two days' time, can't surely uh, be given the right to then uh, sort of propose massive foreign policy on behalf of the nation. Uh, you would presume not. Now, one thing that's slightly raising my eyebrow and getting the old antenna going a little bit is that we haven't seen Alan Duncan's resignation yet, letter yet. Right. Now, he, now, we're told that he's put it in to number 10. And, that number and 10 number 10 confirmed. has confirmed he's resigned, yeah? Absolutely. So we're, we're sure about that, although I'm just wondering what's coming because usually if you were going to plan a big resignation like this where you really want to attack Boris Johnson mm. potentially, you would get your resignation letter out pretty quickly. Yeah. So I wonder whether he's waiting for a set-piece moment, whether he's going to do it just as Boris Johnson comes into number 10 on Wednesday or whether there's going to be some sort of real sit-down moment for Alan Duncan where he gives a big interview, for example, or he, he makes a speech of some kind trying to attack Boris Johnson even over and above the odds. And he hasn't tweeted in about three days as yes. well, which is interesting. It always fascinates me how arrogant a lot of these politicians are, that even when they're really not that important in the big scheme of things, that they like to choose their moment as if it is their moment to choose, as if they are responsible entirely for writing their own history. Well, I'm also told um, that Alan Duncan held, quotes, leaving drinks in his office last Thursday. Did he? So this has been plotted for some time. Right. Well, that's according to several Westminster sources. Well, that's, that's surprising that that's state secret, because not much stays secret that long in Westminster, does it? Obviously, no. it doesn't get in, put it through the Foreign Office, otherwise it would be leaked <laughs> to the mail on Sunday. Yeah. But that's another story. Uh, Ross Kempsell's here. He'll be here with us all week. The Tent of Shame returns tomorrow. We'll be down in Westminster on College Green. We're having our own leaving drinks, by the way, for Theresa May. Uh, so she better be leaving. She better not do one of those things that some people in the office do and say, oh, I've changed my mind, decided not to leave. We'll talk about all of that. Lots more to come. 0344 499 1000. Give us a call. Tell us why there should not be more resignations and when they're going to happen. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On talk radio. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving hate and... Thousand. Pete says this, if you're at College Green tomorrow, is there a klaxon for when the Extinction Rebellion boat turns up? Well, I think the Extinction Rebellion boats have all been towed back to whence they came. Uh, although I have to say I was very amused at the weekend. One of my Twitter followers uh, put out a tweet when, in which he managed to capture the Extinction Rebellion boat uh, being towed by a very, very old and gas-guzzling Land Rover Freelander, uh, which was in fact stopped at a petrol station filling up with petrol. Uh, shortly before tagging the boat and taking it back to wherever it was from whence it came. But that's another story altogether. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk about the next big story in politics, which is, of course, the replacement of the Lib Dem leader. Christine Jardin is Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West. She's been in the tent of shame. Uh, Welcome, Christine, back to the show. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Um, the Lib Dems are are good at very many things, but you you must say, surely you've kind of timed all this a bit wrong, haven't you? You've timed the new appointment of the new Lib Dem leader when everybody's talking about how Jeremy Corbyn's grassroots support's going down the pan and Boris Johnson's going to be the next Prime Minister. No, no, I think we've timed it perfectly. Have you? um, Yeah, uh, Vince said a while ago that he was going to do this. We have... He's handed over to, or will be handing over today to the new leader at a time when we've had our best ever local election results in England and our best ever European results. So we're on a high. We know what we're doing. We have two people, actually, although um, obviously we're all just voting for one. But we, whoever wins today, we will have a leader who is going to be leading the campaign to stop Brexit. People know where the party stands. We don't have the internal division and the squabbling that is um, tearing the other two parties apart at the moment. So we're in a good place. You are in a good place, there's no doubt. And in fact, funnily enough, the good place uh, and and your surge in popularity happened as soon as Sir Vince Cable announced he was leaving. I know (laughs) that's only a coincidence, I'm just being funny. Oh, it's not. No, he's, he wouldn't mind. Sir Vince is, is, is a good friend of this show. Tell us, Christine, who do you think is going to win? I'm told it's a bit too close to call. Uh, I think Joe's going to win, uh, Joe Swinson. Okay. Because she... One of the things that you need in a leader is that you know who they are instantly. You hear their name and what they stand for, what sort of person they are and what you're going to get from them. And that's Joe Swinson. Also, um, I, like, I like the idea of uh, the Lib Dems having a female leader as well because it puts even more pressure I. on those old dinosaurs from the Labour Party uh, who still, even in this modern era, have never had a woman lead them. Have you lost? Where's Christine gone? Oh, Christine seems to have disappeared. As I was saying, uh, if uh, Joe, I'd quite like Joe Swinson to win. I quite like Ed Davies, a decent enough guy. Joe's a decent enough uh, human being as well. But the point is, is that the more pressure you can pile on those dinosaurs at Labour, those people who like to pretend that they're all things to all men, but are exactly that, only all things to all men. They're not all things to all women at all. Christine, I think we've got you back. Um, Probably yeah. Yeah, sorry. I was just saying, I like I like to pile more pressure on the male dinosaur sort of uh, yeah. uh, dynasty that they've been running at Labour for far too long. Uh, so it would be very pleasant to see another woman in charge of a political party. I think so, um, and I think that's one of the things um, 
Joe will bring to it. She also she looks like a 21st century politician. She looks different. She's not tribal. Um, she she won't adhere to the old kind of oh we only talk to our own party and we work for our own party. Joe already works um, across the parties in Parliament, um, and her and I have been friends for a long time. And one of the things, first thing she did was introduce me to people, um, obviously from her own party, but then people from other parties that we can work with. And I think that is vital. The modern political system needs to change. We, you know, this 19th century idea of you know two parties fighting it out constantly, it's just not appropriate. It doesn't work. We've seen in other parts of the UK with uh, PR um, and with more consensus in government that it's much more positive. And one of the reasons we've had a problem with Brexit and uh, you know we're stultified at the moment is because the internal divisions of the Conservative Party are running the country rather than what's best for the country. Yes, quite. And we need to get away from that. And what about the sort of story that's been appearing over the weekend, that there may be as many as six Tory MPs who wish to defect to the Lib Dems? Would they be welcomed? Because the danger, I suppose, here, and I said this earlier to Ross Campbell, our political editor, is that there's not an awful lot of uh, common ground, really, that you guys share with Tory backbenchers. But if you only um, kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of coagulate around Brexit... Is that a good thing? I think um, anyone who comes to join us, who shares our ideals, who wants a fairer society, who wants to stop Brexit, yes, but also wants, uh, you know, the other things that we care about, like that fairer society, like giving everybody a better chance in life, like building a stronger economy, not for its own sake, but so that we can have a society that's fairer. People who share our views and want to help us to change the British political system, to get something which reflects more, not just our society, but the balance of politics within our society, then they're welcome. But they have to, you know, they have to share our ideals. So are you and saying that you could turn away Tory MPs who come to you if they do not share those things? I don't think they'd want to come to us if they didn't share our ideals. That's the thing. If they want to come to us, it must be from their point of view, because they want to change uh, the way politics is done in this country, that they're unhappy. Right. So you won't just take anybody on for, for the sake of numbers, in other words? No. No. I, I don't think... I, I think that would, um, that would be, you know, unhealthy for everybody, because what we want is to work with people um, from all parties to get Brexit fixed. If there are people who share our ideals and who want to join us, they are more than welcome. But if there are people who, you know, want to work with us from inside the Conservative Party or the Labour Party as well, then, you know, we are always prepared to work with other people for the greater good. So now you're that... encouraging treachery. Sorry? Now you're encouraging treachery. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I just thought Heaven forbid. It's great. Well, listen, Christine, uh, look forward to, uh, to hearing the result at four o'clock this afternoon. That'll be live right here on Talk Radio. Christine Jardin, Lib Dem MP uh, for Edinburgh West, saying interestingly there that the Lib Dems will not accept any old Tory that wants to come to join them just because they're angry with uh, Boris Johnson and they want to remain in the European Union. They have to absolutely buy in to every single Lib Dem ideal. Otherwise, don't bother. I think that's an interesting message. We'll take some of your calls coming up, 0344-499-1000. And we'll be looking ahead uh, to what's happening in the Gulf as well in the next hour because uh, the Iranians are now executing people they claim are part of some CIA plot. It's all getting a bit tricky. Uh, Jeremy Hunt is still trying to count whether the, the votes are going to be big enough for him to stay in the cabinet. What is going on? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's all right. 
just glad to be here, happy to feel that. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've been here since 10. Where have you been? If you're only just joining us, that's not good enough. We're going to be in the tent of shame tomorrow. From 10, I expect you to be there sharpish uh, because we're going to have an awful lot of klaxons going off. I've just been reading a story in the papers, by the way. Incredible story of where we are uh, in this country today. Uh, a guy wearing no shirt walks into a home base because he's been fighting outside the home base in the car park with someone. He's apparently been knifed in the back. He goes in, uh, demands... Uh, an axe so that he can continue fighting with whoever it was that stabbed him. Uh, they give him the axe, he drops 10 quid on the counter and leaves with the axe, uh, presumably uh, intent on chopping somebody's arm off. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's Britain we're talking about, by the way. You know, not Rwanda. 03444991000 is the number. Uh, tweet us at Talk Radio, text us at 87222. Let's talk to Bruce Williamson, though, uh, because we've still got train moans to have as well. Bruce, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Don't we ever have train moans? Isn't it a perpetual state? Well, it usually is a perpetual state, but that's because the trains are so bad rather than because of the people being so constantly disappointed. The, the story today is that there's over £100 million worth of compensation going missing over train delays because people can't be bothered to actually claim it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually nothing new. This has been going on for years and years, and I think it's a shame, really. Uh, you know, there's, there's <laughs> for once, there's free money to be had just for the asking. What, what is wrong with people? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with people, because I'm one of those who's tried to claim compensation from the train companies. They make it so complicated and difficult and time-consuming that if you're only really claiming back something like two or three quid, um, even though that might be on a basis of, you know, once a month or three times a year or four times a year, you know, the money just isn't worth the time. Yeah, I think you make a fair point there. You know, I think it's something we've been banging on about for some time. The, the train operating companies to make, need to make the process as easy as possible, and also just just to publicise the fact that it's available. I'm sure there's loads of people who simply don't realise right. that if their train is delayed by, now it's 15 minutes, it used to be 30 minutes, now you can claim after 15 minutes delay, uh, and people probably just don't know this. So well, they do. I mean, I've been on trains myself, and you know that I've got a bit of a bugbear about South Eastern, uh, mm -hmm. who I used to use an awful lot, and you'd get uh, a message as you were sitting outside wondering why you weren't actually, you know, it's not like a landing gate that you come on on a plane, why we're not coming to London Bridge, sitting outside, and the voice comes on the tannoy saying... Um, you know, if your train has been delayed by more than half an hour, please make sure that you claim compensation and then it directs you somewhere in the station to go and get a form. And you're kind of going, well, I'm already late, actually, so I'm not going to wander about the station looking for a form uh, because I haven't got time. Yeah, you're right. This is about time we moved into the 21st century, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I think Grayling, Chris Grayling, a while back, was talking about... Uh, forcing the train companies to make it easier by having like a, a one button on your app that you press and it, it, it you know claims the money back for yeah. you. Uh, and you can do this on the web. And you know I think it should be made as easy as possible. In fact, I would go further. It should be made totally automatic because if you've got a, a season ticket or you know an Oyster card or whatever, you, you now there's a good idea. Sorry? I said there's a good idea. Yeah, you know you zap yourself. The thing is, it's all automated. It's all computerized. Yeah. What it needs is the various different bits of computerised technology to talk to each other. Uh, so you get, you know, the, the, the Oyster card to talk to the timetable computer and the timetable computer looks up your address and then that talks to the bank's computer and sends you some money. Wouldn't it be wonderful? It would be, wouldn't it? I mean, you would think that that's not beyond the wit of man considering, you know, how far we've come in terms of facial recognition technology, uh, the fact that you can literally have a contactless card which you don't need to do anything with apart from touch on something. I mean, could there not even be some form of contactless um, card in reverse? 
where you where you know when you're going out um there's a there's a little button that you put your contactless card on which is only activated if the train is late you put your contactless card on the money comes back to you yeah i've I had mean, another genius totally idea possible. yeah yeah it's totally possible i'm not even trying there. to have a good idea this morning <laughs> It just—it just—it's about political will, and it's about the industry getting its act together, and people like you and me, and and the government to put pressure on the industry to make this happen because yeah. it is totally doable. How about on the other hand as well, actually trying to reduce the number of late trains? Because I know that that is sometimes shrouded in mystery. The way that a train is is sort of technically uh, said to be late is not always the same as the the the, the reality version of late. No, it's not. I see what you mean. What, you're talking about the sort of the various thresholds. Yeah, well, when, you know, if you're 20 minutes late, it's not as bad as if you're half an hour late or you could be 10 minutes late or, you know what I mean? There's all kinds yeah, of yeah, different definitely. definitions. I mean, obviously, sometimes, you know, five minutes late is enough for you to miss your connection. Yeah. Uh, and you wouldn't get compensation for that. And there is also an anomaly as well. There's a, there's a mismatch because if network rail causes a train to be five minutes late, then they can, the train operating companies can claim compensation off, off network rail. But... Uh, you can't claim compensation off the train operating company until it's 15 minutes later. Yeah. That seems that seems a little bit unfair. Well, it I does. I mean, I can give you a great uh, horror story of the sort of average day in the life of a commuter. I had to get up to Norfolk or Suffolk somewhere once to go to uh, Centre Parks, which was a bad idea to begin with. <laughs> I had to get a train to Cambridge and then change, right? I got off the train at Cambridge, which was on time, but because there was a lot of people uh, going up and down the stairs to the other side, by the time I got down the other side, I went to get on the connecting train and a guy stopped me and said, you can't get on this. I said, why is that? He said, it's just about to leave. I said, yeah, I know, I've got a ticket to get on it. He went, no, 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 you can't get on it, uh, it's dangerous. So I had to stand there and watch it as its doors closed and it left. There was then not another train going to that place for another hour. Yeah. So I had to take a different train to another place called Ely, where the train I was supposed to get from Ely was cancelled. I ended up having to get a taxi to the Centre Parks place. It cost me 50 quid. You know, I can't, compl I can't get that back. No. Well, he probably could if you had a smart lawyer. But, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, I think well, I'd get 20 these... quid and the lawyer would get 30. It's not yeah. worth it, is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all got these sort of frustrating tales of, of, of rail travel. You know, it's my job to actually, you know, support the rail industry. I think, I think trains are great, you know. But I think that, that, you know, we need to make sure that they work better. They work in the interests of people so that the stories you tell uh, be, become rarer and rarer. And I think, sadly, we've got an awful lot of... Uh, an awful long way to go and an awful lot of investment to make until we right. get that, that And point. we get an awful lot of the eco-planks talking about how cheap it is to fly and how expensive it is to go by rail. Yeah. Um, that's just the way of the world, isn't it? Well, it, not entirely, no, because, you know, the, 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 if you like, the rules and regulations and the taxation is skewed in, in favour of flying. So, for instance, your aeroplane pays no duty whatsoever on its fuel, but the train operating company has to pay rail fuel duty. Now, that's not fair. What, what, what's, where's the sense in that? Well, hang on. Airlines pay a lot more duty than the, usually the price of the ticket. I mean, the taxes on an airline ticket right now are more than 50% of the price of the ticket. Yeah, that's maybe. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, well, you, know, you the, don't the, say that says maybe because that says absolutely definitely. Well, it's fly, it's flying nonetheless remains, you know, outrageously cheap. And, it, and, it, and it's a major cause of, of carbon emissions in the world. And it's growing. Now, if you have a train, train is electric, hopefully. Uh, and we're all in favour of electrification and you can use green energy to power your trains and, and, and travel without guilt and without pollution. And I think it's the way to go. And it's something that the, you know, with the various different taxations... I don't, by the way, can I just tell you, I don't suffer from guilt in any way, so <laughs> that's not a selling point to me. Well, that's because that's you're inhuman, Mike, but most people... It's not very nice. You know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the government should be sort of, you know, working to, to make us 
more environmentally friendly in going about our Yeah, well, they are. But the point is you can't make it more expensive for everybody because that's not the way forward. Surely the way forward is to incentivise rather than to punish. And in well, that I, way... I, I kind of agree. It's got to be a bit of carrot and stick. And, and whether it is carrot or stick, it's got to be seen to be reasonable. And I think that's the point. But surely taxing aircraft fuel the same as you tax car fuel or rail fuel seems reasonable, doesn't it? Well, it would be reasonable if you didn't have all the other taxes which rail fares don't, which rail companies don't pay, but which, you know, um, uh, airline companies do. But we're out of time. Listen, we'll have to pick this up another time. Bruce, thanks very much indeed. Bruce Williamson from Rail Future. Uh, we're talking about £100 million compensation, so never mind the tax they're paying on the fuel, they get to keep £100 million quid that they should otherwise be giving away. So I'd say that's a win-win for the rail companies isn't it? A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Love doesn't come in a minute Sometimes it doesn't come at all I only know that when I'm in it It isn't silly Love isn't silly Love isn't silly at all This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock. I've tweeted out, by the way, uh, a piece from the Daily Mail online which has a list of all of those things which are being recalled because it is quite uh, a substantial list and I don't want to just read out some of it and not all of it. So uh, I have read some things out, um, but I want you to go and check it out if you are on Twitter uh, because you might have some of this stuff at home and you might not wish to contaminate yourselves with it. Uh, but also don't forget Volvo are recalling half a million cars. Uh, we've got Whirlpool recalling uh, a load of tumble dryers as well. Well, absolutely unbelievable what is going on in this country. These people should be held to account, should they not? Uh, Rob says, that chap's talking about trains and planes need to lay off the tax on fuel comparison. The majority of fuel used by all aircraft is outside the UK common tax area. Therefore, it is tax exempt. Internal flights in the UK pay tax on fuel used. Very good point. And Jen says, very helpful of these ministers to save Boris the time and hassle of giving them the boot when he'll have so many important issues to attend to. Well, indeed, he should well be declared as the new leader of the Tory party tomorrow morning on this very show. Uh, we shall see whether anybody else resigns between now and then. Uh, and then on Wednesday, Theresa May has her last Prime Minister's questions. We will cover all of it, of course, from the tent of shame from tomorrow at 10 o'clock uh, in the heatwave. Let's talk to Susan, who's next to Hi, Susan. Good afternoon, Michael. Good How afternoon. I'm very well. Very well, thank are you. you. Are you enjoying being so adored? Everybody loves the show, including me. You know I love the yes. show. Well, are you not, enjoying it? Well, luckily, of course, it's nice to be popular, but uh, there's plenty okay. of people out there who hate me. Don't worry. Uh, I'm still, no, no, still getting lots of abuse no. on Twitter. No, you, you just... <laughs> don't take any notice. When you get that, mm. I, don't do, I don't do social media. When you get that, just think of all of us here who love you. You're very kind. Every you're very no, kind. no, I'm not kind. I'm just, I'm just making a statement. All right. Um, have you got when you put the tent of shame up? Have you got tea and coffee making facilities? Uh, we will have, but I suspect we'll be drinking more okay. water than tea and coffee. Though it's yeah. really very hot. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's not hot down here. It's overcast, really. Yeah, I think the big heat wave's coming tomorrow, though. It's not really oh, today. God. And it's going to be, right. it's going to be 40 degrees in London apparently oh. on Thursday. Can you imagine? It, oh. Terrible. It's it's quite worrying for people, elderly people. It is. Just get put plenty of sun cream on, yeah. sunscreen on, and try and stay in the shade if you can. You know the girls and the boys who work in the offices just don't sit in it. Yes, I'm a big know. fan of the cold flannel as well, actually. What do you just 
splash of the, yeah just keep what, a, just keep a yeah, cold, cold flannel handy keep putting it in if you're yeah. at, in if you're at home right and yeah. you're feeling hot just yeah. continually oh, yeah. wet the flannel yeah. you know and, yeah. and and squeeze it out and put it on yeah. your forehead put it on your pulse yeah. points all that sort of I stuff Yes, and also a little spray bottle of just spritz of water, just stick yes. that all over yourself. Well, that's quite yeah, expensive, cool. but if you can get that, that's no, great, yeah. No, just plain, plain, just plain water, just plain water. Yeah, I know, but the, the spritz bottle is expensive, isn't it? No, just a little spray bottle, you get them from the pound shop in a little pack. Okay, all right. Well, it's good um, advice. No, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, cold water's lovely. Are you looking forward um, to Theresa May's departure? She's been a bloody nightmare, hasn't she? You won't see the back of her... She'll stick her heels and then she'll do something underground or behind the scenes. You you won't see the back of her. Well, hopefully, we'll hopefully see we'll see the back of her on Wednesday. We won't see her for a while after that. Uh, she'll try and claw her way back in because she's she's like that, isn't she? Yeah. Anyway, what I was going to say is, I think with the, with the I'm very worried about the, the situation in the Middle East. Yes. Because we don't want another war, do we? For God's sake. No, I don't think we, I don't think it's going to get I don't think it's going to get that bad, to be honest. Well, I don't know. You got you got America. They shot one of their drones down, didn't they? You can feel the tension building up. I, I don't know. I well, don't know I mean, let's, we're going to keep an eye on it, Susan. I've got to run because we've got to talk to somebody about dating in the, in the workplace. Um, and so that's very important as well because as much as there's a crisis in the Middle East, as much as we're going to get a new Prime Minister who's going to only have half a cabinet because half of them are going to leave, far more important than that is apparently can't ask anybody out of work anymore. Let's talk to Andy Jones. Hi, Andy. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. This does not come as any surprise to me when I saw this in the Sunday Times, the end of the office romance, because you can see it. I can see it where I work now. You know, there's none of the kind of uh, behaviour that used to go on, um, shall we say, a few years back when I was in the workplace. Uh, yes, Mike. It must be very hard for you, Mike, working in a soundproof studio and to talk to other people that aren't even there you must never meet anybody for real it's terrible it's it is terrible. i live but... in a complete bubble yeah absolutely right which is good <laughs> though because i can't get into any trouble that way well quite quite but this is down to any number of factors obviously you i think you're alluding to the sort of the turnaround in sort of hr rules uh, that prevent sort of any any hygiene can anyone overstepping their mark obviously you had the me too movement which we all know about which you talked about on air before mm. but this down to so much more than just the change in attitudes. More and more people are working um, with less and less face-to-face -face contact. Years and years ago, you'd almost certainly meet your uh, future Mr. or Mrs. through work or through someone at work, etc., etc. because we work the longest hours in Europe. So it stands to reason we meet someone that way. However, because we have less and less face-to-face -face time in the office, it's all done by remote, um, it's more and more difficult. Also, we've had an explosion in dating apps, things like Tinder, etc., etc., which means that you don't need to gamble on uh, meeting someone in the office and it all falling apart. You can meet any number of people out there in the big wide world. So, so you, you see how far we've fallen here, Andy, right? You're now telling me that it's less of a gamble to go and meet somebody you've never seen in your life, right, who you just think of, <laughs> of as a picture on the internet, uh, than it is to actually go out with somebody that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, in some ways, you're right, but so much of our interface is through through um, phones and screens. Where you sit, you only need to sit on a public transport anywhere, and people are just staring at a screen. Yeah. People speak more to people who've never met the other side of the country on the internet than they do people three desks away in the work in the workplace. Because on the internet, you can be whoever you want. You can rehearse your messages. You can rewrite them, make sure that, that joke exactly makes sense. Whereas talking to someone face to face, you can embarrass yourself. You can you can make that flirtatious marker over the photo 
a coffee. You could ask them that after work and they and they shun you and it's very embarrassing. You message someone on the internet, it's low risk high reward. Also, the other thing I'll say, there's been a huge change in working cultures now. A lot more people work from home. A lot of people are in zero hours or part-time contracts. And very often people just are changing jobs all the time now. And so you might work with someone you quite fancy for six weeks and then suddenly, you know, they're contracted somewhere else. They're freelance. They've disappeared. It's a it's a changing workplace. We're working very long hours, but we're spending far too much of it speaking to uh, speaking through computers and screens. Yeah. Does it not also kind of does it also not change the way that relationships are now being kind of um, um, done? I suppose, if you like, for want of a better word, in the sense that people yeah. are less uh, willing to put up with things for for any length of time, and everybody expects everything to be great straight away. And if they don't like somebody, almost like on Tinder. And they meet them, and after yeah, half yeah. an hour, they're making an excuse to get out of the pub. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things like Tinder, Tinder dating apps, they constantly offer you a, a, a carousel of new people. So you think if you're going out with someone that's a 7 out of 10 in your head, you could find Mr. 8, Mrs. 8 very quickly online. Also, you only got to look at the sort of behaviour of things like Love Island to see, obviously, that's a game show and it's a reality show, but it's it's... We were consumerist, transient sort of transactional society where, you know, you sit in front of the TV and you can watch hundreds of different box sets at a touch of a button, thousands of TV channels. That's what I mean. I think it's creating it's creating a kind of uh, unrealistic ideal, I think, isn't it? Exactly. Very, very few people are prepared to settle now. I think you're looking at also the lowering, um, the lowering marriage rates, lowering birth rates. Um, and people just aren't settling. People are just like, you know what? Rather than sitting in uh, my my relationship, moderately happy with, I'm going to go travelling for a year. I'm going to change up and change my career. I'm going to go and find someone else online. I'm going to take up a hobby. I'm going to do. And people are able to do almost anything they want, finance permitting, than they ever used to be. The idea of sort of meeting someone at a local dance and staying together for 60, 70 years is, is beyond, you know, young, modern-dating people in some ways. Yes, you get a variation to the rule. And I think that's sad in some ways that people don't work to relationships. We've got, we've got a lowering marriage rate. We've got a higher in, uh, increasing divorce rate. And the thing that some people don't really work at relationships because there's so much choice out there. And people move around the country so much more, which means that they're... Their abilities to meet new people, people work abroad, etc., etc. The idea of sort of buying a house in the next road to where you grew up, meeting someone at the local dance and staying together forever is sort of sort of diminished. And rightly or wrongly, I think that's a fact now. And people just don't meet people in the workplace. They meet them online. They, I think, they are scared to ask people out in the workplace sometimes. You know, not because of you know, not just because of HR reasons or meter reasons, but because of potentially a lot of emotional fallout and it can affect your career you know we see you see cases um in the newspapers where people have had payouts because they've dated a colleague or something and it's gone wrong and you know it's it's people suing their employers because they they feel they've been held back because of something and i think a lot of people a lot of workplaces will either um, implicitly or explicitly discourage workplace relationships. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense for most employers because you don't want to have uh, all of that nonsense going on which you may then be held in some way responsible for. Andy, thank you very much indeed. Now, we've got to nearly the end of the show uh, without another klaxon, so I'm going to call for a klaxon, right, because I've got a piece of breaking news for everybody. So what I want from you uh, is, please, the firing klaxon uh, to be put into, into place because uh, I've got some news on uh, something related to... 
uh, the government, something related to the tent of shame, something related to College Green. But first, I need the klaxon, please. I'm going to now read to you from a tweet by Steve Bray. He's the guy that's down there on College Green with his uh, megaphone shouting, Stop Brexit! all the time, right? This is what he's just tweeted. Uh, and after I finish this, you can play the fired klaxon again. A policeman has removed me from College Green, saying very aggressively that if I go back at any time in the next three months, he'll arrest me for aggravated trespass. All I want to do is show my placards. Can this be right? <laughs> yes! It can be right. You're fired, Steve. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.